Oh, you got it. Yeah, okay. I can do that. <laughs> it's good to see everybody today. Um, for those of you who don't know, I uh, teach at the same uh, high school that Caleb attends. And uh, for the last three years, I, I, I'm not exaggerating, where I, Caleb comes to see me every single day to talk to me. Caleb, it's been a blessing seeing you there for the last three years. I, I know you're going to do amazing things, and I'm going to come visit you in Hawaii. So <laughs> we'll see you in a couple months. <laughs> Well, uh, I wanted to start off today by telling uh, a story uh, that actually comes from a nature conservationist in South Africa, and I thought it would be a pretty uh, uh, amazing story to, uh, you know, kick off what I wanted to talk about today. So uh, there was, uh, from the story from this conservationist, uh, there was a, uh, a eagle that had been in captivity in Pretoria, South Africa, for 10 years. And uh, so through conservationist efforts, they they decided that they were going to set this bird free. And so it became like a big story there, and uh, they drove hours out to the uh, Mapumalunga Mountains, which are on the a border of Mozambique. And, uh, they, you know, this, this big crowd followed along to go see this magnificent, massive bird, enormous wingspan, that they were finally going, after 10 years of captivity, they were going to finally set this thing free and see it soar, uh, and so it became this big, exciting story. So uh, everybody gathered around. I'm sure there was some type of South African media recording the story or a journalist or something. And so they, they get there, and uh, they, you know, they have the bird in a cage, and they take the cage out, and they uh, take down all the walls, and they're, they're all ready in anticipation, and the eagle just sits there. And um, so, you know, they... they were surprised by that. They, were, they thought that it was going to be, be the eagle that it is and soar away, but it didn't do that. It, it just sat there. And uh, for, for hours, they, they prodded it, and they, you know, they tried to shoo it to get it to fly away, and, and that didn't happen. And then all of a sudden, there was just this cry from the sky. And another eagle let out its cry and soared above. And immediately, something within that eagle ignited. And it realized what it was and, and what it was born to do. And immediately the eagle flew away and started soaring with the other eagle. Deep had called into deep. And uh, that's what the gospel story is. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to show us who we are. We're not window shopping anymore. We're not looking through a glass window hoping that one day if we behave good enough, if we if we uh, pray enough, if we, if we jump through enough circles, that one day we'll be like Jesus. Paul says that we look at Jesus as in a mirror, and the more we behold him as in a mirror, we're transformed into his image. When we look into a mirror, that the, the, the reality is Christ in us, the hope of glory, yeah? You know, the, uh, I, you hear a lot that the truth sets you free. The truth didn't set that eagle free. The truth was that it was an e eagle, right? But the truth itself, did, I mean, it didn't exist. It wasn't, uh, I don't know, a possum. It, it was an eagle. The whole time it wasn't flying away. I mean, it, uh, the, the Bible says that, you, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, uh, 
You know, I thought that was a, an amazing story, and, and, and I just think of what Jesus came to do when, when he came to the earth, when he incarnated. And, you know, the, the, if uh, we could go quickly to 1 John 5.20. 1 John 5.20. And this is one of my favorite verses recently. I've, I've just been seeing things in a whole new light lately. You know, I'm, I'm glad that Jesus didn't come to add more confusion to our lives, you know, uh, to the, the, this amazing religion of Judaism that had, was the most sophisticated religion of its time and had all of these precepts and laws and sacrifices and uh, all, this, all of this sophistication. And then you have Jesus who simply just come to give us understanding. It says, uh, 1 John 5, 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's not complicated. He's the express image of the invisible God. We know exactly what he looks like. We know exactly who he is. And if we don't see things through Christological lens, then it's not God. If it's not like Jesus, it's not God. Uh, And even better than that, We are in him who is true, his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And, you know, John also says in uh, uh, the chapter later, in the next chapter, uh, I I didn't ask you to uh, go there, Zach, but 1 John 2, 7 through 8. Uh, If you could just pull that up. But uh, he says, I'm I'm not, uh, John says, I'm not writing to you anything new. Uh, This is an old commandment that has been around and it's nothing new. You know, we were made in his image. It's at first, our Genesis chapter 1, I think 26 or 27. Uh, we, we, were, we were made in his image. We all come from the same father. And he says, I'm not showing you anything new. But, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. And so now we see that what is true of Jesus is true of us. And this is what he came to redeem, the image of God that was always stamped on us. You know, things can't become lost without ownership in the first place, right? If if a coin is lost, someone owned that coin. If a sheep is lost, someone owned that sheep. And if if I drop 10 cents somewhere and it's uh, it's lost and I don't know where it is, it's still 10 cents. It doesn't become anything less because it's lost, you know? And Jesus came to redeem that image in, uh, in us. Uh, but, you know, something that he also said, I, I love the conversation that he had with Nicodemus. You know, and Nicodemus says, I know you're a teacher of truth, and, and you come from God. And, and Jesus kind of says something alarming. He goes, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. thing interesting about that verse is that the word again, it actually is anutin. It means born from above. It's the same word that was used in 1 James that says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. Jesus said you must see yourself, your origin must go back further than your mother's womb. And it'll make a lot more sense when you guys start seeing your, your origins far before you were ever born, the circumstances of your life. When you see yourself in the heart of the Father from the beginning of time, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works before the foundations of the earth. That word workmanship means, uh, the, word, uh, the Greek word is poema. It's where we get the word poetry, poem. God, from the beginning, the foundations of the earth, wrote poetry. And his poetry, his idea, his, his thought, 
was that was us that eventually he was going to have this creation that he was going to bind himself to and that's really what Jesus was talking about he says you must be born from above to see the kingdom uh, you you must see your origins long before and uh, if we could go quickly to uh, Galatians chapter 1, 13 through 16. And you see some of, the, uh, what, what, some of my favorite biblical characters in the New Testament that were really, you know, the, the forerunners of this. Peter, uh, Paul, James, they're the, the ones who identified this birth from above. You know, it says in Jeremiah, before you were in the mother's womb, I knew you. You know, you, we were always existed in the heart of God. And that, you know, that was before the foundations were even laid. We were chosen in him before the foundations, it says in Ephesians. So you got this guy, Paul, who, you know, talks about in not only uh, Galatians, but also in Philippians, the, 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 uh, after the flesh, the stock that he comes from. You know, circumcised the, the eighth day, the tribe of Benjamin. Rachel, from, the, from Rachel, uh, a Pharisee of Pharisee. He, he had this, this stock that, uh, for, before he became a believer, this stock that he used to brag upon. But in this case, he's actually saying, but eventually I did something, you know, uh, pretty bad, as, as we all know. But he says, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So again, he's got, he has this uh, f- fleshly birth that he bragged about uh, under G- G- Gamaliel that I learned all this Judaism and, and uh, exceeded everyone in my, my studies. And he had an experience that showed him where his origins really were and that went far beyond his natural birth. He says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, to reveal his son in me. And you see that Paul has this moment when he's persecuting the church and he's on the road to Damascus. All this stuff that he did after his fleshly birth that he thought was what he was born to do, his origins, his identity. And all of a sudden he realizes that this actually goes back far before I ever thought. That I was always associated with Christ. You know, you think about certain people that have been married, uh, you know, for, for years, and they're always together. And so when you think of that person, their, you, their, their spouse always comes to association. And <clears throat> that's what Jesus is for us. God, every, every thought that God has towards Jesus includes all of us. Where we've been associated with him. We were made in his image. He is the blueprint. He is the original. We've always associated with the thoughts of God with Jesus Christ because of what he did. All right. So uh, again, just going a little bit further, you know, we uh, uh, talking about the poetry of God. It says to be a doer of the word uh, and not a hearer only, deceiving your own selves. In, in uh, James, chapter one, the uh, word doer again, poetess. So where we get the word poet, but be a poet of the word. Poets don't write out of obligation; they write out of desire and passion. Okay, so, uh, so what I uh, decided to uh, title this before uh, is about the recreation story. And, uh, you know, a lot of 
the implications of Jesus's incarnation. We, we, we learn from other portions of scripture, uh, Colossians and uh, John, that Jesus is the creator. All things were made by him and for him and through him, and he's the sustainer. All life is held together by him. And a lot of times you don't hear that. We get, give kind of lip service about Jesus being the creator, but this is very important, that all things were made by him because the same word that was spoken we're going to see is the same word that comes in the flesh the cre- without ceasing to be the creator to make all things new. And we're going to see that. So if we uh, go to uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And I'm just going to highlight a couple things uh, here uh, just as we look through a couple of uh, scriptures. And we're going to see, again, uh, the Holy Spirit within the New Testament, give us a picture of something else. Something is happening here, something new, some, a Kanos creation. So uh, it says, in the beginning, call attention to that, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we see this creation story, and I want to just highlight in the beginning, uh, in the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep, or over the face of the waters, and let there be light. And I'm not going to go through all of what it says in Luke, because it's a very lengthy portion of scripture, but before we even, uh, if we were to even uh, just go to John, how does the gospel of John start up? In the beginning was the word, okay? We have the, uh, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was there from the beginning, and all things were made through him and by him. So we have uh, that, that first uh, gospel starting off let, uh, or in the beginning. So then when, uh, uh, again, I'm just going to summarize the story because it's a very lengthy portion of Scripture. But uh, when Mary is visit, has a visitation, and she's told that she's going to uh, conceive, and she's like, how can that be? I never, I've never been with anybody. How, how is this possible? And so, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. So then we have, again, remember what it said in Genesis, the Spirit was hovering over the water. So now we have, again, the Holy Spirit is going to hover, hover over you and overshadow you. Uh, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Okay, so it goes a little bit further. And Mary's reply, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we see this reference of something happening create, creative. Uh, so this is something new, believe it or not, even for God. He's, he's, he's actually going to take on humanity and take on a human body in flesh. And so we see something happening here that goes all the way back again to the poetry of God, the origin that we come from in the very beginning and even before his creation, uh, according to Ephesians and several other writers. And, you know, we kind of see these outward creative things that uh, Jesus does throughout Scripture uh, when he heals people and he takes from the mud that that humanity was breathed from in Adam. And he takes the mud and he puts it, who does that? I mean, who puts mud on people's eyes to heal? Couldn't he have done it so many other ways? But yet he takes the earth of the ground that uh, it says that Adam was breathed into and he puts it over their eyes to see. He breathes on his disciples like uh, God uh, breathed the breath of life into Adam. 
Um, I mean, in, in another case, we have uh, just to uh, read, and you don't need to go there. Uh, actually, yeah, this, this verse is too good. Uh, we got to go there. Uh, so, Song of Songs, uh, chapter 6, 2 through 3. So there, we, we talk about how, you know, one of the earliest stories that everyone's familiar with is about the Garden of Eden. And so uh, it, I would highly recommend reading this book in the Passion Translation. It's, it, it actually distinguishes when the Shulamite bride is talking and when uh, uh, the, the shepherd is talking, which signifies Jesus in, uh, in uh, a marriage, a union. And so we have the garden at, at the beginning. Uh, my lover has gone down into his garden of delight. Oh, the Garden of Eden. Where is that? The place where his spices grow to feast with those pure in heart. I know we shall find him there. He is within me. I am his garden of delight. I have him fully, and now he fully has me. And so we have another creative uh, garden within us now. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, our bodies. So this is just, I'm, I'm just kind of glossing over some outward things that, uh, that really give reference to the creation story and then Jesus, what he was uh, doing in his life, in his incarnation. You know, Paul talked a lot about, uh, uh, I, I, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Okay? Uh, uh, he, he basically was saying that, this, that his whole life meant something. It wasn't just the cross. It was his entire life. He was stepping in to fallen humanity. It says that he was tempted in all places like we were, yet without sin. He was stepping into the, his creation. He was he, the creator who created, now steps into his creation to recreate from within by the life that he lives. It says in Romans, we're saved by his life. And uh, now he's actually recreating uh, our fallen natures and bending it back to uh, submission to the Father, back to sonship with the Father and redeeming our sonship that we were always created for. We were found in Jesus long before we were lost in Adam. Long before, we were, that, that is our truest identity. We've associated with Adam because of what our experience tells us. Well, we do this, so we're, we're just fallen man. We're just, we'll always be sinners. That's not true. We were found in Christ before the foundations of the earth. That is our truest identity. That was always the b- b- blueprint. Let us make God in our image. Jesus was always the, the, the blueprint that we were created from. <clears throat> so uh, we're going to just go to a couple of, uh, now I, I, I've come across this thing. Uh, I've been studying a lot of like um, some great modern theologians like uh, T.F. Torrance and James Torrance and Karl Barth and a lot of these guys. And they, they talk about this term ontology and uh, the ontology of Jesus, which it, ontology means being. And uh, it talks about a lot with Jesus not healing us so much transactionally, but ontologically. Like, again, uh, the creator stepping into his creation at the deepest levels of our alienation, our separation from God, our clouded minds, our darkness, stepping into that and ontologically at the deepest levels by his life redeeming us back to the Father. Okay, so we're going to look at a, a couple of uh, instances uh, that we see this, okay, and, and Jesus identifying with our, our, our brokenness and our fallenness. It talks about he, he, in Hebrews, he was our high priest. What does that mean? Okay, so uh, if we go, can go to uh, Matthew, I'm going to do two sections here because, again, it's pretty lengthy. But if we can go to Matthew 3, 5 through 6 first. 
and then I'll jump a little bit after here. And uh, so we have uh, in this story here, uh, you know, Jesus is just about to emerge into his um, uh, public ministry. It says, then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. This is the baptism of repentance that they're all going out, that John the Baptist is preaching. And they're all going because of their sinfulness to repent. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, okay, so let's jump down to uh, verse uh, Matthew 13 through 15, if we can. Okay, yes, that's good. Okay, so now, now Jesus comes on the scene. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him. I mean, we have the son of God here who John knew who he was. You know, uh, he hasn't sinned. He hasn't sinned, at the, by the way. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? Why are you being baptized for sin? For, for repentance, the baptism of repentance. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. By the obedience of one, the many were made righteous. So we have, again, Jesus identifying with, and stepping into our fallenness and living a life of repentance, of, of, of submission. Uh, you know, Jesus lived, uh, he was fully God and fully man. He, 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 was, he, he lived in this darkness that we've experienced, in this alienation from God, but he redeemed it. He refused to be fallen in it. And throughout his whole life of obedience, he's, he's uh, healing us ontologically at our deepest levels uh, and revealing to us who we really are. Remember the eagle at the beginning. He's coming to show us who we really are and redeeming us from our fallen minds. The Bible says we were alienated in our own minds. You won't find once not once where it says that God was alienated from us. We were running away from him. We were the ones hiding in the bushes. Adam, where are you? You know, and we've been running ever since. And we, a lot of us Christians are still running from him. A lot of us believers still do this, you know. And so, uh, so it says in Hebrews, uh, and uh, we, we're not going to go there, but it says in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we see this, like, uh, this, the humanity of Jesus along with his deity. We see in his humanity him stepping into our fallenness and redeeming it back to the Father, refusing to be fallen in it, and uh, re- redeeming it all by his life. Uh, and so as a high priest, if you would just uh, think about what they did in the Old Testament, when you had the high priest where everybody stood outside the courts and the high priest would put on uh, the, uh, the breastplate that had all of the tribes of Israel written on the breastplate and representing all of Israel. And then he goes into the holiest of holies one time a year and he goes in there representing all of humanity and he goes in and, you know, uh, does all the sacrifices or what, whatnot. And then he comes back out and he blesses the people with the Aaronic blessing. And mediation is all done from within that high priest. And that's the beautiful story of the incarnation. Uh, Rifle talked about this uh, a month ago about uh, God making covenant with himself. Well, Jesus in his incarnation is fulfilling both sides of the covenant. He's fully God. He's the word delivered, the word spoken, the word revealed, uh, the truth of God from God. And then he's humanity responding back to it. 
and living this perfect life of, uh, of sonship that we've been made accepted in the beloved. That's good news. Christ is the message, Paul says. It's not about like, and I, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He did this all so we could live out of the, his perfection, so we could live out of his uh, perfect sonship. Like, that, like all the things that uh, he could have, uh, let me just go here real quick. All of the things that God could have said, or, you know, when he used to speak to people in the Old Testament, the, uh, these things that he could have said, the speaking the still small voice or, or, the, or the booming voice from the clouds or the Mount Sinai. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many different ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. His language now is one of sonship. And we get to live out of that perfect sonship that his father, or that he, he lived out with the father. All right. So... All right. So we see in this case that Jesus' whole entire life is redeeming event. And at every turn, at every turn, he's showing us who we are. Uh, even though he's, he's, putting out, he's living in this, our fallen mindset, he's redeeming it all in every turn, every way. I only do what the Father says. And I, I, only, uh, or I only say what the Father says. And he's doing that his entire life to show us who we really are and redeem us from, from it. And he takes everything to the cross that's of the old Adamic nature, and he nails it to the cross and raises us up anew. So if we can go to John 2, 13 through 21. All right. So it says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who, were, who, those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. It, well, let's just stop there. So uh, it, it, just to kind of explain a little bit of what's going on, it's like going into the temple. Uh, first off, the, 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 your own animals that you would try to bring weren't good enough. So you had to actually buy animals there from the temple and then you actually had to change the currency as well. So they would whack you twice with a, a fee for going into the temple to do this and uh, kind of exploiting it. And so how does Jesus react to this? When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise, uh, a house of transaction. And this is another thing that Jesus came to show us, that everybody was living at the time of Judaism and living in this, this relationship of transaction. Okay, why was Jesus so upset? Was he so upset about the, the temple? I mean, he had said a, a few chapters later, uh, th- th- or he says it right here, this, or, or he says it later, that this, not one stone will be left of this thing. This thing's going to be destroyed. What temple is he actually talking about here? He's talking about our, the, the temple of our bodies, the temple of his body, and as we'll see, the temple of our body. Uh, so he's, 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 he's mad because he's trying to defend the character of God. You know, they're approaching God on transaction and, and uh, you know, money changing and having the right animals and following the right steps and all of this religion that they're trying to do to get to God. And they're saying, by what, what authority do you do this? And Jesus said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking at the temple of his body. And so, again, that's pretty amazing. Jesus is talking about his own, his, uh, what's going on with him and what is going to happen when he is resurrected. But if we could go to Hosea 6.2, we'll see that this news is even better. And this is a, a prophecy by uh, one of the minor prophets, Hosea. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we, we may live in his sight. So who is Jesus rising up with when he rises from the grave? The temple. Who's the temple now? We're the temple. You know, the, the God who can't even fit in the heavens he can't fit anywhere. The earth is his footstool. Not even in this universe, he can't fit, yet he finds expression in us. You ever think about that? The, the, the fullness of deity lives inside of us. To express, that's, he, that's his greatest expression that he finds. The creator, the God of the heavens and the earth, that he can't even fit in those, yet he finds expression in us. So he says on the third day he will raise us up. And he raised us up a, 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 a new temple. You know, it talks about uh, in First Peter 1 through 3, 4. And again, we, we talk about origin and someone that recognized uh, uh, their origins going far back before their, their natural birth. And we have uh, Peter. Uh, it's First uh, Peter 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible, incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So, you know, we, we see this uh, uh, Peter identifying this happening with the resurrection of Christ. Him resurrecting us into temples of God to hold uh, uh, the glory, okay? And just speaking a little bit about this uh, transaction, uh, I, I found this really uh, interesting kind of definition of religion. What, uh, you know, I thought this was really fascinating. I'll just read this. Religion wants you to build a house for God, repair what is not broken, earn what is already yours, find what is right in front of you, defend against charges that have already been dismissed, it's time to leave the courtrooms and go into the bedroom. Serve time, serve time when you've already been acquitted. <laughs> Persuade the one who is already persuaded about you. We got we, we to see this, you know. We got to see the way he feels about us. He's crazy about us, you know? He, 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 his, he was, from the before time, he always was going to bind himself to his creation. It was, it was set before the foundations. Okay, so if we could go to Mark 14, 32 through 36. And I got to say, this is, this is probably one of my favorite things that, that Jesus was working out, again, by his life and what he was doing for us. Because this is something that probably tripped me up 
almost 20 years of my walk. I've been a believer for close to 18, 19 years, and this pretty much left me in confusion for my entire walk with God. And it's very important to understand, again, what Rifle was saying. I only say what the, I only do what the Father does. I only say what I hear the Father say. This is really important to understand this here. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He, gets a, he rebukes them a couple times. Why do you keep on falling asleep? You need to hear this. Remember the one time when he says, uh, God, I'm, I'm not saying this out loud because I, I know you hear me. I need them to hear me. He needed them to hear this, what he was about to do here. And he took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it, if it were possible, the hour might, come, might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So just uh, what we see Jesus saying this vocally so his, uh, the, the three that he brought with him could hear what he's saying, we see something take place here that is really quite amazing. Uh, again, to understand the, uh, Jesus in his ontology, in his being, it's called the hypostatic union. He's fully God and he's fully man. And a lot of times the, the two get confused. He's so in synergy with each, each of them. He sometimes does stuff out of his humanity, sometimes out of his deity. But he, uh, it has, he, he has two wills, okay? He has the will of man and he has the will of God. He has two wills. But he's about to do something for our wills here. He said, uh, look what it says here. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Remember, he's, he's redeeming fallen humanity. He's stepping into uh, our alienation from God, our confusion. He's like, take this cup away from me. And he's taking this will of humanity, and he's saying, not, I, not as I will, but as you will. And he's bending the will of humanity back to work in alignment with the will of the Father. This is, this is the thing that used to confuse me for so long, because I thought that I was so uh, as a believer, I thought I was so confused about what God wanted me to do and what I was supposed to do and how do I know if this is God's will for me. And I, I, I really lived a life of confusion like that for so long. And the, the whole time, it's, it's really, again, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And knowing who I am and knowing my origin and knowing the rock that I was cut from now, I know exactly what I'm called to do. And that's what Jesus redeemed there is the will to work in synergy, to work simultaneously with God's will. What do you want to do? What are the deepest things that, that uh, are, are within you? Uh, you know, I, uh, there, one of these stories is really a great uh, uh, Baxter Kruger, who's a, a, a theologian. He was on an airplane, and he was going to fly over the Colorado Rocky, or the, yeah, the, the, the Rocky Mountains for the first time. And he was going to fly over the mountains, and he never seen them, so he, uh, this plane is, like, empty. And he goes way to the back of the plane, and he sits down, and he's got his window seat, and he's all ready to just observe these magnificent mountains undistracted. Or, you know, there's nobody on the plane. And all of a sudden, right before they're about to leave the gate, they stop the plane. And the door swings open, and this guy comes in looking like Indiana Jones. He's got this uh, crazy hat on, and he's got, like, the whole get-up on. And Baxter says to himself, this guy's going to sit right by me. There's, there, there's probably uh, 200 other seats on the plane. He's going to sit right by me. 
And so the guy walks in, <laughs> seat one, or aisle two, three, four, five, walks all the way to the back of the plane, and he sits right next to Baxter. So, that, so he knew it was going to happen. Uh, so he gets talking to this guy, and, uh, and uh, before, you know, he asked the guy, what, 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 you know, what, what, what do you, what do, you do? What, what, what's your, you know, what do you do for work? And so the guy starts unfolding all of these charts, and, and uh, he, he, he basically uh, saw, like, like all, of, all, all of these classifications of plants and different, uh, you know, genealogies of plants. I don't know what the word is. I'm not science. I hate science. But like all of all of like the science scientific classifications of all of these different plants, and it was about uh, uh, basically plants that were at the verge of distinction. And he's studying these things to try to pre- preserve them and and learn about them and protect them and all that. And so, so uh, after this guy shares all this, uh, uh, he says to Baxter, "Well, what do you do?" He's like, "I'm a I'm a theologian. I'm a I'm a preacher." And so the guy says, "Well." you're probably going to ask me about evolution now, aren't you? He's like, no, I, I actually, I wasn't at all. I was just so fascinated by why you're so interested in, in this, the study of plants. Where did you get that passion from? And they kind of looked at each other at the same time and said, it probably evolved, you know, but, uh, that, that, <laughs> but actually what he was basically, he started ministering to this guy and sharing about God's love for his creation and that it was God's creation and how that desire that he has uh, is, uh, was actually, he got that from God. You know, no one in his family studied plants. You know, that, that innermost desire that he had was actually what he was born to do. And we have that all within us. And it works in perfect synergy and alignment with the will of God. We just got to know first who he is and then we know who, who, whose we are. And then we know ourselves when we look at a, in a mirror. And we see him reflect, and uh, him reflected in ourselves. So I, I mean, there, there's a couple of stories. Again, I'm I'm giving a couple stories, but we can go into this. Like again, yeah, you must be born of, above to see the kingdom. Uh, Paul talks a lot about all of these co's, co-crucified. We were together with him. I mean, what does that mean to you? Is it just something that he's saying? Like he, he's saying that you were there. We we were there on that cross with him, co-crucified co-buried, co-resurrected, co-ascended, co-seated, and now co-revealed. So, uh, Jesus came to do something not for us. He came to do something as us. And to to heal us at the deepest levels of our being. You know, I talked about a couple uh, months ago when I spoke about him healing people. And when he healed people, he groaned, taking on their sickness, taking in their infirmities, and, and, and absorbing them into uncreated light. He, did, he healed not as the doctor, he healed as the patient. He became the patient and he took everything that was of the old creation, everything that was bad, he took that into himself and he nailed it to the cross and he took, us, he took it all down into the grave, and he raised us up a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. So uh, if we could go to Second uh, Peter, chapter 1, 16 through 19.
So we have, uh, uh, again, the Apostle Peter here, and this is probably uh, one of my uh, couple favorite verses in, in the whole New Testament because it really speaks volumes to my, my own experience and uh, I hope for yours today. And we have Peter here uh, who, who saw the majesty of God. He saw him transfigured. He walked with them for three years. He saw the resurrected Christ. He, you know, he was with Jesus in that inner circle of three that Jesus constantly ministered to, the rock, that he renamed the rock, he recreated, you know, said, this, you, you came from a rock, you didn't come from a reed, your name's Simon, wishy-washy, that's not you, you come from a rock, you forgot the rock you were cut from, and we all, sometimes all do ourselves. It says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven and when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so you have Peter here telling the people that, look, I've seen all this. I've told you all this. I've seen the, uh, the glory of God. I've seen God confirm his sonship. I've seen him transfigured. I've seen him nail that, that. Well, he wasn't actually there, but I've seen him raised from the dead, the resurrected Christ. I've seen the marks in his hands, uh, the, the uh, imprints from the cross. And he says, and we, so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as the light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And he's going to say, he's saying, look, I, I, I saw this all firsthand, but there's going to come a time when you're going to experience it firsthand yourselves. And he, say, he says the day star is going to arise in your own hearts. And this isn't going to be a, a spectator sport anymore. You're going to be fully engaged with the reality of who lives inside you and who you are in this new covenant with a new heart and a, and a new mind, the mind of Christ and a will that works in synergy and, and a temple that the fullness of deity lives inside of you. And there's going to come a time where that is going to be your own personal experience. And uh, you, you won't have to uh, be a spectator and uh, watching what other buddy, everybody else does from the outside. And you're actually going to be engaged in this until the day dawns. You can listen, listen to me, uh, take my word for it, but until the day star arises in your own hearts and you experience it for yourselves. And so uh, going back to the story at the beginning, uh, I'm going to close and I'm, I'm gonna uh, just really speak this blessing o- over you, this uh, uh, benediction from Isaiah 40, 31. And, uh, th- and then, you know, we'll have some uh, uh, people up here that can for pray, pray for some people if they want afterward. But if we go to Isaiah 40, 31. So remember that eagle at the beginning and remember what Jesus came to do. He came to show us who we are, not somebody who we can try to be. This is who we are in the deepest levels of our being. Truth doesn't cease to become truth because you don't see it. You'll know the truth and then the truth will make you free. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary They shall walk 
and not faint. I, you know, I, and, and kind of my old Judaism, I basically would call it my old Christian walk, but I used to, I actually made this into a work, you know what I mean, this verse, but those who wait on the Lord, so that means, you know, well, how do I do that? So how do I do waiting? So I, you know, kind of, uh, well, that, let's set the clock for it, and I didn't used to do that, but, you know, like, like kind of like put myself again in this position, like, that I didn't want to be in and force myself to, you know, whatever, pray or whatever. But the word actually wait, it says, but those who wait on the Lord. The word wait, the Hebrew word is kawa. It means to entwine. It's to engage your mind with from above. Okay, remember Paul said uh, to um, set your mind on things above. So to wait on the Lord is to engage your mind, to repent. What does repent mean? It, goes to, it means to go to the high place, to see things the way he sees it, to see that you are, he's already persuaded about you and who, are, who you are because of what Jesus did. He's fully persuaded. And to go up and to repent and to see things the way that he sees you. So, I, uh, again, like I said, I'll just uh, speak a, a blessing, a, a benediction over everybody, and then we can have the... Uh, uh, Prophetic team is coming up today, and uh, they can uh, do their thing. Anybody who needs to come up for, for prayer or pr- uh, prophecy. Huh? Oh, yeah, I, okay. Everybody can uh, stand. We'll end like, with this if you want to. <laughs> Again, I'll just read it one more time. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Lord, I just pray for uh, the congregation of Harvest right now, Lord, that we could just see who we really are. That's, that we would see Jesus not as in a window and try to be like him or think one day I can be like him, but to see him as in a mirror so we could see who we really are and that we could start, that something in us would ignite, that we would start Uh, that deep would call to deep and we would realize what he created us for and who we are as children of God, that we would see our sonship adopted, not from from the outside, but uh, like a bar mitzvah recognized that we were always in the family and we're coming out, we're coming of age, we're coming into maturity. Lord, you know what everybody is, is experiencing right now, Lord. You're on the inside of every one of us. You, 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 we, are, you are, we are your temple. You are inside of us. You know exactly what is going on within each and every person within the congregation, Lord. I just pray that you would minister to them. You know all things. You know what they're going through. You know what uh, maybe are some uh, th- unhealthy things they might be thinking that would... Uh, Uh, that would be coming from the father of lies that would steer them away from the truth that is in you. Lord, I just pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to fall on harvest today, that it would fall opening up people's eyes to their identity, opening their hearts, that the day star could arise within themselves, that that, that they would no longer see themselves as a spectator, but fully engaged and what God created them to be and to do. Lord, I just pray that you would reveal to all of us who we are in the deepest levels of our being, that it's not something that happens transactionally, 
but something that happened ontologically in our, the very depths of who we are, that we would see, oh, have our eyes open to the rock that we've been cut from, from eternity past, that we were found in Christ long before we were lost in Adam, that God was not taken off by the sin of Adam or the failure of Adam, but that he was pursuing Adam the whole time. Adam, why, where are you? Why are you hiding? Didn't you know that that bush was burning with the glory of God? He's not far from any one of us. In fact, he's on the inside of you. God, help us just to see that we're human beings, that we are created to be like poets of the word, just living a life of poetry, of spontaneity, of flow, of passion, of desire, not of obligation, which extinguishes all that. God, I just pray that uh, everybody would be blessed today, that you would provide traveling mercies, that this week we would behold as in a mirror, that we wouldn't be like the man in James who saw himself in the mirror and then walked away forgetting who he was. Because we can often do that when we don't uh, understand who we are. We can often see ourselves as in a mirror, but it's too good to be true. We're, we can't be Christ-like. We have to try harder. We have to, we have to pray harder. We have to uh, whip ourselves up to a frenzy. It's too good to be true when we walk away and we forget about what manner of man we were. Help us to see in the mirror who Jesus came to show us who we really are. And that we would engage that and live from that reality all throughout the week, all throughout the next week, throughout our lives, that something different would happen when we walk out of this today. That our, 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 uh, our faith and what we believe about God is only built on the persuasion that he has about you, the way that he feels toward us. In Jesus' name. take a moment here let's let let's just kind of settle in our spirits God is so good